Hello, and welcome to another full episode of Horror 4H. Social media stuff first. Facebook, Twitter, that's, um, that, that's it. Just search for Horror 4H. That's the word horror, the number four, the letter H, and all of that is one word, and you can't miss us. I say us, it's me. Can't miss me. Now, instead of saying it's been a while, because let's face it, if you've listened to me before, you'll understand why it's been a while. I'm going to tell you why I'm doing another episode instead. So the other day, I was trying to remember something, and I can't remember what I was trying to remember in because funny. And so I hopped onto my feed to see what movies I'd ripped on in the past. Apparently the answer for whatever I was trying to remember was in that, but I, I don't know because um, I can't remember. But anyway, I go to start checking the tracks when I noticed that I'd had around a dozen or so listens in that past 24-hour period. Now, 12 listens isn't very many, but... Considering it's been a large amount of time since my last episode, like three months, I was thoroughly confused and pleased. I'd stopped focusing on my numbers a long time ago because, frankly, they're meh, which is fine. Uh, like, as long as someone is laughing at my stupidity and my jokes, I'm good with it. So I decided to scan the numbers a bit more, and what threw my jaw to the floor in record time was seeing that on November 30th of last year, I had almost 800 listens. Now, that's still not a ton of listens. But, considering you guys usually kept me around 20 to 40 when a new episode came out, that's, that's a hell of a fucking jump, and I have no idea why either. I tried to figure it out. Uh, like, I tried to look through my Twitter feed, had I posted something super controversial or funny or whatever. No. Uh, maybe something on the Facebook page? I mean, even if I had, though, I have a very small number of followers on Twitter and fans on Facebook, so what gives? I still don't know, but honestly, I don't care. I did notice around half of those listens came from Mongolia, so either from the province or the city of... Oh my god, I'm gonna butcher this pronunciation, and I apologize profusely in advance. Bayankongor. And I had to look it up, because I, I, I know where Mongolia is, but I don't really know anything about the country as a whole other than the general geographic location. So what struck me that was there, there even though about half of those listens came from there... The population of that whole province is around 90,000 people. So either a lot of you from there listened to me a few times, or a few of you from there listened a hell of a lot. And either way, I mean, wow, thank you. Like, so much. Genuinely, thank you. It made me look at my numbers from everywhere, and most weren't too surprising. Several from the states, either near me in the Midwest or over on the West Coast. All of my California friends have done a great service to me by pushing me to their friends as well. Uh, some from Australia, some from Germany, the Netherlands, Japan, Singapore, the UK. And honestly, guys, it surprised me how varied my audience was. I was expecting most from the states and maybe a couple in the UK and Australia. But to have so many from so many other places was just kind of flooring, really. So again, thank you. It means a lot. And I hope you all enjoy this god-awful piece of shit movie I'm about to tell you about. So sit back, relax, and enjoy bad horror through someone else's eyes. Sorority House Massacre 2, 1990. This is going to be a hard one to pull off, kids, seeing as how, spoiler alert, the first Sorority House Massacre ended with the killer, one Mr checks my notes here ah yes a mr robert hankel who i caringly referred to as crazy guy because robert hankel was killed by his sister laurie strode i mean laurie hankel i mean laura hankel i mean beth yeah 
Okay, maybe this isn't actually a prequel. Honestly, I have no idea. I wasn't even sure there was a sec second Sorority House Massacre until I typed Sorority House Massacre 2 into the search engine at website redacted tube. So let's get into the likely absolute mess and see. So we're off to a good start so far. Overly dramatic music with gold letters turning blood red. Ooh, spooky. So far, I recognize zero of these names, which means either this movie was so bad no one had a career after it, or it's an actual archival footage of murders and none of the actors went on to do anything else because they actually died. Dun, dun, dun. It's probably the former. So, music by Chuck Serino, which is probably the only actual talent in this entire production, honestly, because this dramatic music is hilariously fucking over the top, which fits 80s slashers perfectly. And ignore the fact that this movie came out in 1990. It, we're still going to count it as an 80s slasher. Still watching the credits? Wow. Yep, okay. I bet because no one actually stuck around long enough in the theater to see the end of the movie and the credits play then, so they just they shoved them all at the beginning... And, uh, oh no, a scream! Oh, is that related to the plot or just part of the score? Let's find out. Slow zoom into a woman's face in the dark as she cries in a scared manner and says, I know you're out there, before looking down at her chest that has a massive cut across the entirety of it. It's bleeding heavily, but she seems rather well composed given that. She's begging with what I assume is her attacker saying, you gotta remember, as it fades Wayne World style, you know, doodly -doo, doodly -doo, into a flashback and, and ten to one that the only two things this movie has in common with the first movie is the whole thing is basically a flashback, because remember, the first one was a flashback, and I bet the murders happen at the same house. Like, seriously, didn't even know this movie existed, but I'm calling it right now. That's the only connection. Same house, and it's also a flashback. So a car full of girls pulls up to an old boarded-up house. They've got it at a steal, too. And greasy, balding, slightly overweight dude whose truck they're using to haul the stuff... Offers his help, but no one sees the inside of this place until we get it fixed up. And one of the five girls... Is, oh, wow, they're uh, his girlfriend, I guess. And they make possible plans for the next evening. And she gives him an obscenely long kiss. Which I'm betting is probably how they paid that guy for the movie. Given the production value so far. I don't think they had enough money to actually throw around the extras. And suddenly a hand pulls back the curtains from a window across the street. Ah! Ew, and lots of heavy breathing, okay? Oh, wow, okay, so I thought maybe my dig at production values was a little premature given this early in the movie, but the literal second they walk into the house, you can see the entry hall and a quote-unquote another room behind them that looks like it's literally just painted on a screen that's hung up on the wall, and I think honest to God it is because you can clearly see their shadows cast on the room not into the room on the room so you know what i'm gonna i stand by that production value joke uh, i'd be surprised if anyone got paid any amount of money for this entire movie so everyone complains about how bad the house is and you know i mean felt this is probably the only time i'll actually empathize with anyone in the movie and what a surprise there's no power hooked up yet oh no and the phones aren't hooked up either premise that's why they have to stay the night to be there in the morning when the movers and the power company and the phone company all show up. But it's totes okay, you guys. They have peanut butter, crackers. Yeah, they have crackers. They're, they're all crackers. Popcorn and booze. But no boys, sadly. Which is okay with at least one of them who is, to her credit, years ahead of her time. I say this because she's already acting like a mid-90s white person trying to rip off black 80s black culture. But she's doing it in the late 80s, early 90s. So she's advanced. 
Ooh, a fireplace. They can roast their marshmallows there. Seriously, marshmallows. Apparently, one of these girls is actually from England, like the actress. Yet she sounds like she's fucking from, I don't know, like New Zealand? Or maybe that's a regular Australian accent. Honestly, I'm really sorry. I can't tell the difference. I'm just really fucking American. So, please no hate mail for that. Um, like, for that. You know, if you want to send me hate mail for other stuff, that's that's cool. I That's, that's okay. Oh, and uh, they can make up ghost stories, except guess what? They don't have to. Dun, dun, dun. What? Guess why we got the house so cheap? Yeah, about five years ago, the Hockstetter case where a guy killed his whole family. Wait a fucking minute. Hold on. Literally no one in the original was named Hockstetter. It was Hankel. I made several jokes about the fact that it was Hankel. In fact, in the entire movie, there were only three last names given. Detective Gilbert, Dr. Lindsay, and Crazy Guy, and, you know, Beth Hankel. That was it. Gilbert, Lindsay, Hankel. Those were the only last names. Wait a minute. And now they just said the Clive Hockstetter case. And that happened five years ago. And that this place has only been on the market for the five years. Okay, that means, one, it's, it's not the same house because it was Hankel and it was Robert, not Clive. And two, this has to have happened before Sorority House Massacre 1 because that movie took place a dozen years after the murder. Okay, and then while they lament about how stupid of an idea it was to buy the place, and I, I gotta agree with them there, it was really fucking stupid, one points out that old man Hockstetter, and okay, he wasn't old. The guy was a kid when the murder, Jesus fucking Christ, and, and oh no, the glass on one of the windows explodes because of wind. Yeah, it's just, it's wind. Just regular wind blows the window panes fully apart, just explodes. Woo! God, they better hope no one sneezes in this place. The whole fucking house will come down. Two of the girls walk back out to get some stuff and talk about how it wasn't hard to find the place and how bad Janie, that's uh, apparently the one who bought the house, feels. Which reminds me, I saw you with Billy. Wait, how does that have to remind that one that she saw the other... You know what? Okay, I gotta I re- got stop taking this movie seriously. It's not even eight minutes in yet. Wow. This movie is already objectively worse in every way than the first Sorority House Massacre, which is saying something. Oh, I hear there's a storm coming. Yeah, I hit her on the radio. It's going to hit about 8 o'clock. Then literally the next second, some of the worst special effects I've ever seen. Well, okay, they're jumping time pretty fast in this movie so far, so maybe we'll get lucky and everyone will be dead in the next 20 minutes and the movie will be over. We can only hope. And they're eating sandwiches, which I won't call them out on, even though, you know, they only had crackers and peanut butter and booze and popcorn and marshmallows. Right, right, okay. Can't can't take it seriously. I'm going to keep forgetting that, I'm sure. My bad. Even though the bad thunder sound effects have happened multiple times, suddenly one scares them, just even though, yeah, and they wonder if it's raining. Not like they couldn't easily tell from the noise, but odds are the house leaks too. So, you know, one needs to go check by opening the curtains, and they say they need to check the place out after they eat. So wait, what the fuck have you been doing so far for like the past however many hours? Like it was bright and sunny out there less than 20 seconds ago in real time, and yet you were saying the storm was gonna hit at eight o'clock, which kind of implied it wasn't soon. And so wait, is this a universe where things don't happen unless we observe them? Are these like shitty reverse variations of the weeping angels? Doctor Who reference, boom. Anyways, one laments that it could be dangerous to walk around the dark. 
Well, I mean, you could have walked around in the daylight, but hey, that ship sailed. Okay. And the one opening the curtain says, what's there to be scared of? And cue the person staring in the window as she opens the curtains. Yes! And it's the creepy heavy breather from earlier. And we can tell this by the weird flannel shirt that he's wearing because we could see that in the anyways they all scream as he blankly stares like blankly stares one says it's a hoaxstatter okay that's that's gonna fucking bother me hankel for fuck's sake they didn't even try did they this is this is barely less tenuous of a connection to sorority house massacre than troll 2 was to troll and there was no connection but from troll 2 to troll literally none <sighs> he slides the door open because it it wasn't a window so you know it didn't break with the wind, and it was a sliding door, and it wasn't, but, okay, anyway, and says, no, it's Ketchum, Orville Ketchum, so you move in, duh, you might need help, okay, you saw them move in, like, however many hours ago it was, and you're coming over now, and the deck, okay, so, why were you staring at a drawn curtain on the sliding door, instead of knocking on the front door, like, literally any other human being on the face of the planet, again, they bring up that it's, did not Hankel and Orville here Oh god, okay, so yeah uh, Apparently Orville found all the bodies uh, Whenever the first Murders happened, and Jesus You guys, he literally just said it, it was a stormy evening Just like This Like, I, I, I don't know if I can keep going I mean, this is my thing But holy shit, this is bad And I know I say that like almost every other movie But that doesn't make it any less true I'm just just saying. Uh, now we get treated to the murders via flashback. So to be clear, this is a flashback from someone who, well, I say maybe wasn't there, but this guy very well might be the killer. So let's just keep that at a maybe. A flashback from someone who maybe wasn't there during another flashback. Because remember, this whole movie is a flashback. So apparently, not Hankel, got his wife first by hiding under a blanket. Like, the guy is literally in the middle of the room, lying on the floor, with a blanket over himself, and his wife, who looks like any random sorority girl, doesn't say anything, not a, Hey, Clive, why the fuck are you under a blanket? Just slowly and with a terrified face, kneels down and pulls the blanket off and... Wait, what the literal fuck? Hold on. Hold on. Okay, 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 okay. So, I had to pause the movie right now to do a few things. And I'm going to tell you what I did in order of how I did it. So, first, I double-checked to make sure that the movie I'm watching is actually Sorority House Massacre 2. It seemed to be, so then I had to head on over to the googly and check what Slumber Party Massacre 2 looked like. It looked familiar, and that's when it hit me. I've riffed on Slumber Party Massacre 2 before. That was episode 10. So then... I looked up to see if there is a Slumber Party Massacre 3. There is. So I checked the plot synopsis real quick to make sure it didn't start exactly like this film. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I was thinking maybe the movie I'm currently riffing on was mistitled in the link. And, I don't know, in the opening credits? But thankfully, or unthankfully, it wasn't. No, that means the movie that I'm riffing on right now is, in fact, Sorority House Massacre 2. You might be wondering why I'm jumping over to the Slumber Party Massacre shit. Well, because then I looked up Slumber Party Massacre, the first one, which I also ripped on a while back. I don't remember what episode that was, but it was an earlier episode. So why did I do all this? 
Well, it wasn't certainly to pad this episode. I'm already over budget on word count here. I'm three full pages in on writing and just hit the 10-minute mark into the movie. And to give some comparison, Slumber Party Massacre 2 script was 11 pages of ripping, riffing for the entire fucking movie. So why? Because when not Hankel pulls back the blanket, we see Drill Killer, the murderer from Slumber, not Sorority, but Slumber... Party Massacre 1. In fact, actually, wait a second, hold the fuck up. Now I have to pull up Slumber Party Massacre 1 because there's no way they did what I think they did. My first thought was maybe they just got lazy and hired the same actor, but no. No, they couldn't have. So now I'm literally pulling up Slumber Party Massacre and checking my riffing script to see about where in the movie I need to jump to, okay? About an hour and eight minutes in, we see the little sister of the next door neighbor hiding under the couch, and there's a knock at the door, and the coach opens the door, and hey, wow, she looks pretty familiar. She walks into the room and notices a man-shaped blanket lying on the floor. She doesn't say anything about it, kneels down, and holy fucking shit. They are literally using footage from the first slumber party massacre movie while trying to connect it to the first sorority house massacre movie that they literally just used the same footage with different music. He even says, up came the drill, and, and then he went after it, and then he went after his girl. Like, you, you mean the girl who lived there and her other friends from high school? They weren't even a sorority yet. Oh, my God. Not just this one scene either. No, 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 no. They're showing the movie. They're just showing, like, entire fucking scenes. Not like a clip. Not like ten seconds. No, 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 no. Now, we've moved on to the scene where they hide in the bedroom and they put shit in front of the door and he creeps up behind them through the window. And for fuck's sake, the, gay, the guy's name in the movie was Russ Thorne. It wasn't even Hockstetter. They're all just, they're showing the entire fucking scenes. And Orville's narration isn't even half as entertaining as mine. This is just insulting to the audience and honestly to me at this point. I know this movie was made when I was six. Now you can all figure out how old I am. But at this point, I really feel personally insulted. He got... Cecily. He got Cecily. Normally, I wouldn't care, but at this point, I have to look it up because I'm like 100% fucking sure that the girl he just killed wasn't actually named Cecily. And nope, the movie, the, the, the girl in the Slumber Party Massacre movie that just got killed in Sorority House Massacre 2 was named Kim. And actually, wait a second, the murder they're showing in the bedroom, uh, that actually happened before he hid under the blanket and killed Coach. Like, they're not even showing it in the right freaking order! Oh my god, so at this point, I had to start going down a Google hole to find out how the fuck they got away with this, because plagiarism in a different order is still plagiarism. And by the way, this joke's just for me, but whenever I wrote this, I copy-pasted the word plagiarism, so I plagiarized the word plagiarism. It's the little things in life that keep me from offing myself when these movies turn this bad. Ah. They were written by completely different people, produced by completely different people, and I know I mentioned this before, but the Slumber Party Massacre movies, at least the first one, was directed, written, produced entirely by women. Awesome. And the second one was written and directed by a woman and was co-produced by a woman. The third one was directed and produced by a woman, but one of the other co-producers on 2 and 3 was uh, produced by Julie Corman, Roger Corman's wife. Now, she's a notable film producer in her own right. She also produced a large amount of absolute crap, much like her husband. And some not-so-crappy films, also like her husband. So anyway, so anyway, despite the fact that the two series shared some cross-co-producers, they were produced by entirely different companies. But... The distribution rights were all under one corporation. So, they would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for those damn kid. I mean, wait a minute. 
Me. It, oh, uh, ro, ro, Robbie Wright arrangement. <laughs> Back to the straight-up stealing of another movie and narrating poorly over it, which is very different than what I do, by the way, like in a very real legal definition. Now, not Hanklethorn goes to the garage, which, wait a minute, that was an even earlier movie. That was an even earlier murder in the movie than the one they just showed. They're Benjamin buttoning Slumber Party Massacre to tie it into Sorority House Massacre so that they can try to make the sense of the Sorority House Massacre 2. <laughs> and then he says if it weren't for the girls next door, Hockstutter would still be alive today, except it wasn't even the girls next door in the movie who even killed him. They helped, but it was the girl who lived there who killed him. And, it, and they just showed the end scene of the movie. They just showed all of the major kills and spoilers from an entirely other movie. Okay, now granted, Slumber Party Massacre came out in 82, and it did have a successful release. It grossed over $3 million on a budget of 220000 That is not too shabby. It still only had a limited release, so it maybe came out on VHS. That's like an old DVD, kids. That's like Netflix... Uh, when it started. That, uh, so that's like if you put a movie from a streaming site onto a shitty quality USB. God fucking damn it, I'm old. I've watched a movie on Betamax. Anyways, it maybe came out in like, what, 83? So yeah, you had seven years to see it. But also, what the fuck are the odds that a bunch of people hadn't seen this movie, then maybe got into the slasher genre because of this movie, then went to watch this cool old movie that they heard of called Slumber Party Massacre, and then, you know, like... Slumber Party Massacre came out in the 80s. I, like, they probably actually spoiled with, with all... This is bullshit. And that was a very, very long rant just to say, these fuckers are lazy. Anyway, and it happened all right here. Right where we're standing. By the way, I timed it. Just shy of three full minutes of footage from another movie, and we're just 12 and a half minutes into this movie. Which means about a fourth of the whole movie so far wasn't even this fucking movie. Good God. I need a fucking drink. Legit. So, he continues to move into the place, causing every single woman to back away in abject horror. So, of course, he continues to move towards them, because that's what you do. And then he says the real estate guy paid him to straighten up and keep an eye on things, and considering... One of the whole plot points is they need to stay here tonight so they can clean up. I'd say you failed, Orville, but okay. They explain they own the place now, which you'd think since he's being paid by the real estate guy, he might know that, but he says, you'll need this, and promptly reaches into the front of his pants far enough back to pull literal shit out of his ass, which apparently is where he keeps his keys. I mean, I know right now if I farted, my car would unlock because that's where I keep my keys. <sighs> So he gives him the key to the basement, and Janie stupidly can takes it. Like, that was at the very least touching his balls, Janie. Make him toss it in the sink or something. Wipe it off first. Come on. Have some self-respect for you. Oh, right. You're in this movie. You don't have any self-respect. My bad. Okay. So, he leaves with a, if you be needing anything, I'll be watching. <sighs> Seriously, every time he does anything, it's just heavy breathing. This guy is literal walking probable cause. I'm honestly more concerned about his basement than the basement in this murder house. Like, how many poor chained up chickens does he have down there? Why is it chickens? Fuck! I don't know. He seems like the kind of guy who would be a chicken rapist. I have no idea how I know that either, but I just do. So just trust me here, okay? Because literally any other alternative to that is somehow even worse. 
So they proceed to joke about how fucking psycho he was, while Janie jokes about how the key is still warm. Oh my god, because, you know, it was nestled up against his balls. And now we cut to Orville watching a screen that you can't actually see anything on, but the sounds are either 1950s porn noises, with the music being that of when a villain ties a woman to the set of a train tracks, or it's just a really bad horror movie, I can't tell which. And he's eating a bowl of raw meat. Yeah. Okay. Then he opens a drawer to reminisce over newspapers that are in pristine condition about the Hoxetter murders. And by the way, they spell the last name differently in the paper than they do in the credits, so yay for consistent inconsistency. Also, one of the headlines says, Hoxtetter kills five in slumber party massacre. Murdering his whole family is a slumber party. Like, I just... <sighs> and we cut to the girls getting ready to go down to the basement because that's a great idea in the dark. Yeah, the basement, which they declare spooky, reminds me more of a... I don't know. Kind of looks like a cracker barrel that's been abandoned for a few years than anything else. And I mean, I guess that's spooky. Mainly because now you can't buy any good candy from the gift store. Yeah. One of the girls finds a blood-stained doll, while another finds a laundry chute that leads to the attic. Remember, kids, those guns over the fireplaces mean nothing. Because in this movie, it was a knife in the fireplace, not a gun. No, wait, no, that was in the first sorority house massacre. In this movie, it was a drill from the basement. Wait, no, even though they said the tools were in the basement and the drill killer got it from a phone repair woman in the original movie, but since we're retconning all that, we're going to say he got the drill from this great Aunt Glinda who gave it to him for his 13th birthday, and that's when he murdered her too. And am I making all that up? Or was that actually in this movie? Or one of the other movies they stole him from? The point is, you honestly can't tell. That's how fucking bad this is. So, back to the bloodstained doll, and it has taken them almost a full minute to realize that the giant fucking red stain on the doll's face is blood because it's impossible for college students in movies to be intelligent. And they found a Ouija board. Sorry, throwback reference. Let's uh, let's pronounce that the right way. A Ouija board. Now, suddenly I long for a magic hatchet to the face. Either in this movie or in real life. I don't care right now. And they've decided to play with it. So, is one of them going to get possessed by the ghost of old man not Hankel Thorne Hockstetter? <sighs> let's find out. Ooh, slow zoom in on the chainsaw and random hooks. Slowly swinging. Ooh and cut back to a roadblock where some police roll up to to find out that there's a bridge out up ahead, I guess, even though there's there's a meter, like, in the middle of where they're standing. So it actually isn't a roadblock. It's an alley block. So you wouldn't have been driving up to it in the first place. Dude cop tells lady cop if he were alone, he'd try to get through, and she rightly calls him out on his blatant sexism, and he's all, oh, no, it's not that. You know I wouldn't do that. But this is different. How? It's not a dis... It's it's not that it's a disturbance call, it's where it came from. Okay, well, that's actually still sexism, dude cop. And what disturbance call? They don't have phone service over there. Remember, was it Orville? Did he call in his possible murders ahead of time? I, apparently, I don't know. Lady cop doesn't know about the Hockstetter murders, though. Before my time. Bitch, they were five years ago, and it was literally, apparently, in every fucking newspaper that we've seen so far. So maybe you're just a shitty fucking cop, and it has nothing to do with your age. So he goes over the case, and by that I mean uh, they couldn't afford to do another flashback and show anything, so he just names random gory things, like fingers in the sink and guts in the fireplace, and followed by the deadpan delivery of the address given to them by dispatch, and she goes, wait, you're not telling me that. Yes, and even though Hockstetter is dead, dude cop says the neighbor, who's 300 pounds of bad news, and okay, Orville isn't that fucking big, like, eh, 
definitely had something to do with it, but he couldn't prove it. And even though he just regaled us all with the gory details of the case, he can't remember the guy's name. So we're setting up for Orville to be the red herring while another neighbor we don't know about is the real killer and that's why Orville stuck around, question mark? To keep an eye on that guy? Got it? I mean, uh, oh no, it's the ghost of old man, not Hanklethorne Hockstetter. And Orville is now outside the house again, breathing heavily, which I think must have been his stage directions about 90% of the time. And then we cut to what is shaping up to be a super, super gratuitous nudity scene. I mean, a scene which is absolutely essential to the plot and could no way be cut. This would also be a time to point out that at least two of the five women we focused on so far here that are the main characters are played by Playboy models. And again, super necessary shower scene. We could not have cut literally any other scene in the movie instead of this one. This was not a desperate attempt to get people to come see this movie. Okay, so she's soaping up her breasts. And by the way, the soap is not soaping anything at all. Like, there's no bubbles. It's just water. And there's squeaking noises. And honestly, I can't tell if that's supposed to be like a mouse noise or if they're adding squeaky toy noises when she squeezes her tits. Like, legit, I cannot tell. Artistic integrity. The doorknob slowly turns and a close-up of her soaping her ass and squeaky noises when she moves the soap over her ass, and the door cracks open slowly and more soap over her body that is leaving no soap trail at all. And we had to make sure we get a bush shot in there too, everybody. And the door is still opening and more squeaking noises. Oh, hey, uh, there was nothing happening then, so I guess it is a mouse. Okay, well, thank God for small miracles, Lana. And a hand grabs her shoulder, and oh my God, it's one of the other girls. Here's a towel that you wanted. Oh my God, I thought for a minute you were Hockstetter. Do I look like a Hockstetter? And drops the towel she was wearing, so now she's naked, because super necessary scene is super necessary. And close up of the ass of another one of the girls who's putting panties on, so she can then take her shirt off without a bra. And a brief glimpse of one of the other girls. Wait, sorry, never mind. It's now a full glimpse of the other girl topless in front of a mirror while wearing lingerie. So that's gratuitous nudity of four of the five. Yep. Random chit-chat about how they heard about the murders growing up and how Ketchum is totally harmless. Cut back to him inside his house now, breathing heavily, as he looks out his window into their windows, which have just sheer enough curtains to be clearly showing their shadowy outline of them stripping. Yup. Necessary. Okay, time to play with the Ouija board. Oh wait, no, never mind. Uh, it, it cut to the Ouija board and then just... After that, it panned over to the fifth girl stripping almost completely. Okay, so that's literally every major cast member. And they're all still in basically next to nothing. Well, I'm not saying women don't walk around like that. It's pretty obvious why they did this. Because at some point, I'm going to tell you why. It's because at some point, the women will use the fact that they're wearing less than the killer to escape, seeing as how they're not burdened down by heavy clothes. Like, like the killer is. The killer's gonna be burned down by heavy clothes. So, speaking of, we're almost 30 minutes into the movie, and so far the only murders have been murders from another movie that weren't even connected to this movie. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they decide to contact Hockstetter. <laughs> sex joke, sex joke, sex joke. Bullshit Ouija stuff. Sex joke. Uh, they contact a guy named Colin, who one girl thinks sounds Irish, another one thinks is Colin, and another thinks sounds romantic. Jesus fucking Christ, can we speed up these murders, please? They tell Colin they want to talk to Hockstetter, and then the planchette, which they call a, a diviner, or a diviner, they call it a diviner, sorry, diviner, flies into the fireplace, so one of them says lightning must have hit the house and caused an electric charge, and that explains it, and at least no one actually fucking buys that, so that's good. 
Well, everyone leaves the room now, and uh, with the fireplace lit too, and there are lit candles everywhere, and the flashlights are on, so the camera can get a good view of all their butts. Necessary. Well, time for sleep. Just kidding. Time to talk about how they're going to have awesome parties and how lucky Jess is to have that weird greasy dude we saw earlier and how the parties are going to mean wall-to-wall men because literally the only thing women ever do without men around is being naked to half-naked and talk about men. That's it. Literally nothing else ever. Ever. Haha, <laughs> tickle fight. No, really, seriously, fucking tickle fight. I'm not kidding. And massage time for the other two girls who weren't in the... Yeah, massage time. This entire movie seems to be a really shitty masturbatory fantasy made up by a man-shot... Oh, wait, that's actually what it is. Okay, never mind. Oh, and now a fight over a man, which makes Janie go downstairs to get a drink alone. Well, at least she might finally have an out to get a stop filming on this shitty movie. Yay! The basement door creaks open by itself, prompting Janie to do the smart thing. Go back upstairs and get some sleep in a room with a locked door. Oh, wait, no, no. She chugs tequila and keeps an eye on the basement door. That's still opening slowly. And a gloved hand and a knife to her throat! Yep, a fully robed figure slits her throat while pulling her back over the counter, and then a shadow of a hook followed by an explosive spray of blood all over the place, all while she's screaming, which is impressive to do with a slashed throat, honestly. Which, of course, that's probably not going to alert anyone else in the house upstairs, because regardless of whether this is related to Sorority House Massacre 1, or if it's regard like related to Slumber Party Massacre 1, both of those movies, in my opinion, took place in the same universe, where sound bubbles are everywhere and no one can hear anything else 20 feet away. Girl who is alone goes to check everything out after being woken up by the storm. Again, the storm, not the other person screaming. There are lit candles everywhere downstairs, by the way. So the killer, honestly, is doing these girls a favor because if it weren't for the killer, the girls would eventually have all burned alive. And I think a quick death from Blade is way better than being burned alive because you're too fucking stupid to put out lit candles or to put them on anything other than old rickety wood. And a shadow at the window! She finds a broken bottle of tequila, but not the giant sprays of blood that were everywhere seconds ago. And then a loud crash sends her back upstairs and everyone meets in the hallway where they all point flashlights directly into each other's faces. Because that's how you use a flashlight. They're all screaming for Janie, but I mean, don't they know that even if she was still alive, she couldn't hear them because of how physics work in their universe. <laughs> Better split up. Yeah, they're splitting up into two groups of two because, I don't know, fuck you audience. So two get downstairs and split up even more. They are begging for death now. More lit candles everywhere. Maybe the killer is a member of the local fire department. I don't know. They both scream to each other that they can't find anything. So then they scream back to just keep looking. And still no one notices the fact that like minutes ago, there was blood sprayed everywhere in this fucking kitchen. Like, did the killer bring a fucking bottle of bleach with them? Huh. And the girls upstairs find the stairs to the attic, and even though they know that she went downstairs and they've been upstairs, they decide that they should check the attic. Well, one does, because of course the group of two of them upstairs decide they have to split up as well, and the other should go downstairs with the other girls, and I quote, because maybe they've already found her. But they didn't bother to tell you at all, okay? I'm gonna be the director for a second, all right? I'm gonna pretend to be the director. Right. Now, I need you to shine your flashlight right on her ass while she's walking up the stairs, okay? Alright? And great. Yeah, that happened. So, the attic door slams behind her, so of course she assumes they're fucking with her, and then she steps in a bear trap! No, you didn't just stroke out. I said she stepped in a motherfucking bear trap. And she's screaming her head off because, you know, bear trap. 
And then the closet in the attic, because, I mean, who doesn't have a closet in their attic, opens, and the completely hidden killer who just, like, jumps on her, drags her around before the shadow of a hook and blood spray everywhere! And again, no one fucking heard her screaming for half a minute at the top of her lungs. But, you know who we do hear screaming? That's right, all the guys in the strip club we just cut to. No, for real, we just got to a bunch of guys cheering at a strip club. Uh, and the stripper's dancing to... Wait, let me see if I can pick out the song. Uh, right, no music. Okay. Oh, wait, there we go. About half a minute into the strip, we hear a bit of music playing. And there's the cops who just want to talk. And the owner's all, you checked us last week. I don't know anything. Which is totally not suspicious at all. <clears throat> Lucky for him, they want to talk to the stripper. I guess rather than try to find a possible way around that one alley they couldn't go through earlier, they needed to go question someone who, I'm going to just take a wild guess and say is one of the only survivors from that other massacre that happened at the sorority house at the slumber party house that was committed by non-hackle thorn hawks that are possibly catch him or maybe another as-of-yet unnamed guy. Fuck, I hope they reveal a killer soon so I don't have to say that every time because if every time I want to refer to the killer, I have to say non-hackle thorn hawks that are possibly catch him or maybe another as-of-yet unnamed guy, we'll be here all night. I mean, I guess I could... Just say the killer, but repeating a long phrase multiple times in a row has a higher comedic effect. At least it does if I've learned anything from solid sketch comedy shows. <laughs> Not Hankel Thorne, Hockstetter, possibly catch him, or maybe another as-of-yet unnamed guy. Candace there was one of the only people to survive the Hockstetter massacre. Called it. Yep, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Oh, wait, but hold on. Let's see something here. Literally, as I typed that, Candace took her top off, and I appreciate her enthusiasm for the job, but, I, I mean, let's see if Candace was even a name off of anyone in the sorority house massacre or slumber party massacre. I'm betting no. Anyone want to bet yes? If so, please send a self-addressed stamped envelope to... Wait, never mind. It doesn't matter. But I checked anyways, and nope, no one in sorority house massacre one or slumber party massacre was named Candace. In fact, none of the actresses were even named Candace. In fact, just because I felt like being super thorough, no one in Sorority House Massacre 2, the movie I'm riffing on right now, was named Candace either. Even though he clearly says Candace, she's credited as Candy. Also, in this little fact check, I realized I was wrong earlier and I apologize. Two of the actresses in this film were not in Playboy. Only one was in adult magazines and it wasn't Playboy. It was Hustler and Knave and Mayfair and Genesis and High Society. She was in a movie that aired on the Playboy channel. That's where I got confused, and I thought it was two actresses because she's credited by a different name than her real name, which is also a different name than she uses when she does porn. So, my bad, that's not the kind of hard-hitting journalism and accuracy you come to expect and deserve from me. The fucking sad part there is that that's true. I'm usually actually pretty fucking accurate and informed when it comes to this shit. Like, for real. The level of research I do is kind of stupid. I mean, most of it's just basic internet searches, but sometimes I really have to dig deep to find out some interesting facts to throw at you. And considering this started as a monthly podcast, whoops, sorry, it's been so few and far between, designed solely to riff on bad movies, I'd say you're getting a pretty good deal out of it all. You know what? You're welcome. Back to our regularly, uh, irregularly scheduled programming. Right, Candace's tits. Okay, got it. Uh, apparently they're so amazing, the bikers in the bar are flinging themselves backwards out of the chairs and, like... The two super stereotyped Middle Eastern guys at the bar who look more like what the worst CIA agents ever would try to portray as Middle Eastern guys than actual Middle Eastern guys are also super into the dancing while smoking a hookah, yeah, with sunglasses on in a dark bar, mm -hmm. and the stereotypical headwear while saying things like, yes, do that, get down, get funky, 
But their accents aren't even stereotypical Middle Eastern accents. It sounds more like two guys who are coming down off a coke high trying to do a poo from The Simpsons. And there's so much that's problematic with this entire scene that honestly, I have no idea where to begin on deconstructing it, so I'm just not. So instead, let's jump over to her squeezing her tits around the pole, which is accompanied by the Foley artist running a semi-wet squeegee across a window. Yeah. So these guys are in the audience, they're acting like the fucking audience from Blazing Saddles when Lily Von Stupp gets on stage. Now there's a hell of a reference for you. I'll just take a brief moment here to say that go watch literally any form of media ever that has Madeline Kahn in it and you will never be disappointed. That woman was a comedic fucking genius and insanely talented. So the announcer of the strip club, because that, that's a real thing, right? Like, I, truth be told, I've never been to one before. Nothing against them. It's not my scene, but like, they have MCs, right? So this one, he says a very lame line, so he's right along with the rest of the movie. But Lady Cop wants to arrest him for impersonating a human being. And honestly, guys, that's the closest thing we've gotten to a joke that actually got a half smile from me. So go, Lady Cop. I don't know her name yet. That's why I have to keep calling her Lady Cop. I, I, they haven't given one for her. And uh, rather than the cops going to talk to Candace, Candy, leftover victim, we get to start to hear about the next act, which is talked up in a very familiar manner, actually. Diabolically delectable, Satana. Wait a second, hold up. I was going to say it reminded me of Selma Hayek's name from, from Dust Till Dawn, but that was Santanico, which, while somewhat similar to Satana, holds a completely different meaning since Satana is obviously a play on Satan, while Santanico is actually Spanish for holy. So, anyways... Now, what should bother me here is that it takes a full 32 fucking seconds before they talk to Candy. They don't go over to find her. She comes from backstage, and nobody in the bar who was literally moments ago falling over themselves to throw money at her and hooted her even begin to notice that she's there now. But instead, what bothers me the most is that Satana strips to almost nothing in that 30 seconds or so, and her outfit before she strips has nothing to do with hellish imagery at all. Nothing. Her bikini's not even red. It's blue sequins. No red. Like, for fuck's sake, if you're going to go by the name Satana, at least wear red. Am I right? Ah. <sighs> So, hey, detectives, what brings you here? Same as last time. Questions. Wait, same as last time? How often does he come here to ask her questions about a murder that closed five years ago? Is this a weekly thing? Like, I have some new concerns about the police force in this town, and considering the concerns I already had, oh boy. Hmm. Oh, hey, lady cop has a name now. Phyllis. Cool. I can call her Phyllis now. Dude cop has some questions, and they involve ketchup. Dun, dun, dun. Dude cop says he thinks he had something to do with it, but... She doesn't remember seeing Ketchum anywhere, and now, uh, Jesus, he says, when Hockstetter finished at his place, he came looking for them. Okay, okay, but he was killed by the girl, in his own back, you know what, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna let this one go. She mentions her sister, Pamela, and how she sometimes goes to visit her, but like in a way that makes it sound like maybe her sister's locked up in a prison, or more likely a mental institution, which was the uh, plot of Slumber Party Massacre 2, kinda. The main character in that movie was the survivor of the first one, which was in the past in this one, and ended up in an asylum. Except this implies that Candy is Pamela's, and again, no one named Pamela, actress or character, was in Slumber Party Massacre 1 or 2, or Sorority House Massacre. Wait, no, there was one actress in Sorority House Massacre who was named Pamela, but that doesn't count. It was that Candy is Pamela's Younger sister, but the sole survivor of Slumber Party Massacre that was in the second one in the asylum was the younger sister. And shit, I am taking this too seriously again. My bad. So wait, now that the detective mentioned it, she did see Ketchum around. 
the neighborhood that he fucking lives in, and he was creeping around. But he was always creeping around, so that doesn't really do anything. Well, that's all they came for, and even though he apparently shows up now and then, he gives her his card and suggests that she call him, and she says seductively that she just might. And now we know Dude Cop's name. It's Mike, but you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna still call him Dude Cop, because, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what? See, that should be the spinoff that we need. Phyllis and Dude Cop. Anyways, hey, back to the sorority house, which still has the for sale sign up. Anyway, the three living girls are wondering where the other two are, and they decide they should totally check the basement. Even though they know one of the girls was upstairs checking the attic when she went missing. But they haven't heard anything in a while because, you know, sound bubble to the screaming and everything. So, yeah, I've got to check the basement now since that's where the other two have to be hiding. Even though they're literally like 12 feet from the basement door and haven't seen or heard anything. And, oh, my fucking God, another shadow at the window. And they're headed to the basement. Okay, Linda seems to be the only halfway intelligent one. Halfway intelligent. She's the one we saw at the beginning of the film begging the killer to remember. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Begging the killer to remember something. Okay, okay, bear with me here. Now, I swear I haven't seen this movie before. So sometimes I screen them once or twice before I write the riffs, or have watched it like a couple of years ago or something like that, so I have a vague idea of the plot, but just remember how god-awful it was. This one I've never seen. So, let's remember the red herring here is Ketchum. And the odds he's actually the killer are way too high, because he just fits in the puzzle way too fucking easily. So, like, he's not, he's not the killer. It's not too high. The odds are way too low. Like, they're just not. So we're gonna say he's likely not the killer, especially since we've seen him outside the house staring in and breathing heavily, kind of a signature thing, and because honestly, from what little we've seen of the killer, they're nowhere near his size. So he seems to be the neighborhood pervert who's going around peeping in windows. So that means the killer is someone else. Now, it's not any of the girls, probably, since two, at the very least, are dead, and the whereabouts of the others were mostly known, although it's possible it could be one of them. Uh, she really kind of was a little weird in a couple of spots, but we don't, we don't know for sure, and we know it wasn't the cops, and we know it wasn't Candy, so who's left holding Uncle Chekhov's gun? Pamela. Yep, Candy's sister, the only other survivor from the original, not Hankel Thornhockstetter murder. So let's... Bet she found out about the purchase and made it her, and it made her snap, or this is the anniversary or something, and that made her snap, or, or it's, 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 it's either that, or it's a fucking random ghost murder, and I mean, what movie would be so shitty that it would do that? Oh, right, yeah, the last episode that I did, uh, where I ripped on Scream. No, not that Scream. Yeah, the other one that you've never heard of and wish you still didn't know about. That one, yeah. Anyway, let's see if I'm right. The girls start looking around the basement, and we see random debris, bear traps on the wall. Hmm. And wait, why is there just a sink sitting in the basement? Not like against a wall and hooked up or anything, just like a random sink basin just sitting there. Like, even if they left the place as is after the murders, or even if they cleaned up, why a sink? I'm fixating, moving on. Well, they can't find them, so it's time to go, except something drops on Linda's face. But it's gonna be blood. Because even though the killer cleaned the kitchen perfectly, it's always good to leave a mess at the right moment to cause a body discovering to cause mass panic. And they look up, and yep, there's the other two girls hanging by chains from the ceiling and cue the ridiculous screaming and running back upstairs to the phone because they completely forgot the entire premise for the being there in the first place. So, of course, they run outside to get help. One of the girls grabs a knife. Not the worst move, but she'll probably still end up getting stabbed by that knife after maybe getting one good cut in on the killer or something like that. I don't know. So they're all okay. We need to, we need to leave. And, but I'm not taking, I'm, I'm not going yet. I'm taking this with me. She's like, okay, but fucking just let, just fucking run. Don't, don't, no one stands around and talks about what they're going to do in a situation like that. Not that I'd know. 
I haven't ever been in a situation like that where there were killers everywhere or a killer everywhere or I was the killer. Moving on, glossing over that. They're arguing about whether or not to get dressed first, decide not to, then run to the front door and get outside. Although I do remember a very important part of Sorority House Massacre 1 was that that fucking front door was always goddamn locked and somehow it was always locked from the inside and you still needed a fucking key to get in. Anyways, glossing over that. And, oh no, there's someone outside! All the way across the street, but it's obviously Ketchum, just standing in the road staring, and probably breathing heavily. Oh, also, I was wrong. She grabbed three knives. She's holding them all awkwardly. They debate running, but don't think that they'd get far. Ugh! Which is crazy, because this dude has heavy breathing issues just standing still. He's not outrunning any of you, and you know why he's not outrunning any of you? I will tell you why he is not outrunning any of you. Because you're all almost completely naked, which I mentioned earlier. They could live now because they stripped almost completely earlier. They're lighter, even more so because it's raining. So he's going to be weighed down not only by his weight, but by all his clothes and the water weight from the rain on his clothes. See, I knew it would matter. See, all those stupid scenes about them stripping were irrelevant. <laughs> oh, no, fuck, they just went back inside. Never mind. Okay. Well, that was a super long setup for a very small payoff, but I think it was funny, so I hope you're happy. And he's walking towards the house very slowly. And they locked the front door. Good call, but, uh, okay. They divvy up the knives. Another good call. Okay, all right. And then one goes to check the back door alone while the other goes to check all of the windows, and they uh, they probably just got themselves killed. Okay. So, hey, almost were making the right choices. Also, now that uh, they stood outside in the rain debating the pros and cons of running, what little clothing they had is now see-through because reasons. Somehow, none of them die checking the doors and windows, and they are now all huddled by the fireplace back-to-back, they wonder if it's a demon or Ketchum. Why would he do this? Are we really discussing this movie? We're discussing the motive? Apparently. Oh, and now they're hearing noises. Oh, there should... Here we go. Okay, one of them didn't check the windows in the attic. Oh, no! But Ketchum is banging on the window, which doesn't break, which is weird, because, you know, wind exploded one early. Anyway, so he's trying to break down the front door now, which is buckling pretty easily, but again... Not saying anything like, hey girls, are you okay? What's going on? I was peeping in earlier and saw someone else in there with you. Should I call the police? And the door doesn't break and he stops. And more noises upstairs. And the quote-unquote smart one, Linda, thinks the noises upstairs are him climbing the drain pipe. Okay, first off, no. No, it isn't. The drain pipe would not support the man at all. And two, the noises literally started the very same second the door closed. Even big guys who are super athletic and agile like Chris Farley, man, that dude could fucking move like crazy. He was awesome. Couldn't start shimmying up the fucking drain pipe that fast. No. So they all decide they have to go check the attic in a hurry to lock the windows. Because if you think the dude is the killer and he's climbing your drain pipe to get to the attic to get in to then run down two more floors to get to you, the best move is not to run out the front door and drive away. Got it. Okay. Speaking of the front door, point of view monster for a second or two, so maybe Ketchum is still out there? So they stop to debate whether or not one of them left the attic door open before we see the entire scene of them slowly climbing the stairs to the attic because, again, totally necessary to look at their asses. And one of them locks the windows. So there we go. They just hang out in the attic. And then they find a bunch of faux bondage gear and weird pictures all over the wall. And I say faux bondage gear because it's the shit you'd expect if your only introduction to bondage was hearing about Fifty Shades of Grey from a drunk friend. Anyway, they notice the wet boot prints on the floor and one is all, Oh my god, we gotta get out of here! And runs away. And rather than run after her or grab her or anything else, they, you know... There are. There are honestly fucking wet boot prints right there on the floor. They yell after her and then stand there to debate what to do next. 
They decide, since they know the killer isn't in the attic, they need to stay in the attic. Smart move. So they gotta go get Kimmy. Dumb move. So Linda stays in the attic while the other one goes to get Kimmy. Dumb move, because splitting up is literally always the best thing to do. Fucking kill me. Oh my god, they're stupid. So, oh, fuck. Jessica is so dead. She said she'll be right back. Where is Jamie Kennedy when you need him? Reference to the actual scream, not the other scream. Yeah. Cut to Kimmy running down the stairs, suddenly without her knife, and right into ketchup. Oh no, who's inside now? And all he does is stand there and say, Kimberly, before slowly lumbering after her while, you guessed it, breathing heavily. So she runs, not back up to the attic where she knows her friends are with knives, but to the bathroom and a hook starts busting through the door while she screams bloody murder because she's being bloodily murdered and again, literally no one else in the entire fucking house hears it and Ketchum is now walking up the attic stairs, having completely missed Jessica, I guess? I don't know, maybe Jessica's the killer? But he's walking up the attic stairs and Linda has a knife so she's probably gonna stab him, feel safe, then get attacked by the actual killer. She calls out for her friends to see if it's them but gets no response, again because if Ketchum isn't the killer, he surely wouldn't answer her or explain himself in any way, shape, or form. That would be ludicrous. So he's just stumbling around the attic, again, not saying a fucking thing, just breathing super heavy. And just looking around, not like actually looking around for anyone, like literally just standing in one spot and looking up at the ceiling at the tops of the walls where someone would definitely be hiding. And she stabs him. <laughs> A lot. But he's still going and is now like halfway strangling her by just grabbing her shoulders and moving her around a little bit. And she shoves him back against the wall and the knife is sticking out of him. And he is down. We have a catch him down. I repeat, catch him down. Oh wait, jump scare, eyes open, grab her feet, and she wraps uh, hanging chains around his neck and starts choking him to death and snaps his neck, apparently. I don't know, we heard a loud cracking noise. And catch him is down a second time. Okay. She leaves the attic covered in blood, but still missing that swipe across her chest we saw earlier at the start of the movie. She starts whispering for her friends. Not calling, whispering. Telling them they can come out. And again, whispering. She starts walking around the different rooms, whispering for them, and sees into the bathroom where Kimmy was, and sees blood everywhere, and the tub is filled with, yep, blood, or at least, I don't know, super dirty water. Is Kimberly in there, or jump scare killer? I don't know. Let's see. Oh, jump scare. It's Kimberly, uh, inexplicably topless now. Okay. Who starts to strangle her before saying, Jessica. Okay, so Jessica is... Jessica's the killer. All right, got it. And Linda screams and backs up and bumps into Ketchum, who survived having his neck snapped and gets kneed in the crotch. <laughs> I mean, I want to say he's having a really bad day, but dude has been spying on these girls all night, and from what we've heard, probably spied on lots of other people around the neighborhood for years. Not really death-worthy, but, I mean, he deserved the crotch shot, if nothing else. Uh, though the slamming his head over and over into the toilet before leaving him face down in it, that seems a bit much. She limps away. Uh, I guess his... She limps away, so I guess his balls were steel, and starts to go downstairs and now loudly calls for Jess, because Linda is a few steps behind us here, guys. Uh, the Ouija board is moved, and that's insanely shocking to her, but not as shocking as when the phone starts ringing. She answers and hears a woman ask for Clive Hockstetter and says she's his wife and to put Clive on. He's not here! He's not here! Rather than any other rational thing to say, to which the voice assures her that I'm afraid he is, dear, before hanging up, and now she can't get a dial tone because you know, the phone's not connected. And the basement door creaks open again, and okay, I swear to God, if they go, if they go bullshit supernatural killer, I probably won't do the third movie. I probably will not do Sorority House Massacre 3, because there's a third one. 
Okay, I mean, I actually probably will do Sorority House Massacre 3 at some point. But, I mean, I will... I will still... I will be upset. She calls for Jessica, who says, Down here, Linda. So Linda goes to look in the basement, because Linda is really, really dumb, you guys. Jessica says, Over here. Come quick. And Linda, who still has zero fucking clues, is all, It's okay. It's safe. I've got ketchup. And Jeff steps out from behind some boxes with dark clothes on and says... No, Linda, you're the only one left. Yeah. So, she said in a deep voice, too. So, yep, it's, uh, it's, it's fucking possession. God. Ah, yeah, it's the, it's the ghost of Clive Hockstetter. Wow. I really just want to turn the movie off right now. But I will keep watching it just for you guys. So Linda thinks Jess is playing a fucking joke at first because fucking hell, Linda, you are so goddamn stupid. And then she's all, oh no, the seance. First of all, it wasn't a fucking seance. It was a Ouija board. And now the front door won't unlock. Okay, and Linda arms herself with a fire poker and stabs Jess like five fucking times with absolutely zero effect and then pounds on her again with zero effect. And now we get to slash across the chest. Speaking of chest, apparently when Jess put on the dark clothes to become Hoxetter, she took off her top because obvious breast is obvious. And hit with the fire poker that was really good because it sends Jess flying across the room and now she's unconscious long enough for Linda to just slowly crawl around aimlessly for several very long seconds instead of doing anything productive. And she manages to grab another knife and oh no, Jess is gone. She curls up near the fireplace and starts scanning the room, not seeing anything because if your victim had their back to you, and they weren't mobile, and you were, you'd totally just walk out of the room instead of, I don't know, finishing the job. <sighs> anyway, we're back to the beginning of the film, but here's the thing. This movie, that has literally showed multiple scenes multiple times from a, a completely different movie, didn't use the same footage from the beginning of their own movie here. The lines are the same, but the delivery is different, and where she's at while she's delivering them is completely different. They're not even, like, lazy like I thought. They're just fucking inept. Oh, hey, there's Jess with the hook. Oh, I mean, Clive. And the buildup is insanely long and stupid, including a veiled rape threat and the raising of the hook way too high above her head. So I'm just waiting for, like, the cops to burst in and shoot in the back or somehow for Ketchum to be alive and help. And, oh, yep, look, there we go. Orville standing in the doorway with a knife sticking out of him and a chain around his neck. Yep, totally. Totally makes sense. Okay. And Clive decides he's got to go after Orville instead. Some super bad dialogue. And Orville pulls the knife out of himself and stabs just Clive a few times before just getting hooked to the side of the head. Good job. That did nothing. And Linda runs from like six feet away, starting from a completely fetal position, dialing in everything she's going to do way ahead of time, and still manages to jam the knife up through Jess Clive's neck and face, because apparently this possessed person has literally no reflexes at all. And Jess Clive goes down, and Linda is completely covered in blood, and Jess weakly says, Linda, now we wait. Did Clive possess Linda too? Oh, hey, it's, uh, it's the next morning now. Like, super late in the morning too, like full-blown sunshine. This isn't like a bit later, this is hours and hours later. And now the cops walk in, because the door's unlocked now, apparently. Multiple cops, uh, just not Phyllis and the dude cop. I don't see Phyllis anywhere at all. Just dude cop and a few other cops and some other guy. Oh, it's a delivery guy or the phone guy or the power guy or something. Saying he found the place just like this. It didn't touch anything. And then he just says, I gotta get out of here and runs out of the place. And they don't stop him because, you know, you don't need a material witness to the crime scene to stick around or anything like that. Nah, 
Oh, and one of the cops is like, hey, wasn't this the old Hockstetter place? Dramatic music! And now Linda comes from behind some boxes with the knife drawn and ready, and, and dude cop has his gun out, and the other cops have fucking shotguns, and says, it still is, and then laughs in an attempt to be maniacal. But honestly, it just sounds like a bad impersonation of Butthead. And what the actual fuck? Orville just opened his eyes, jumps dude cop, and forces him to start firing his gun into Clavinda ten times, by the way, out of a revolver, before then just walking away from the cop, out in front to all three of the cops, and now that he's several feet away from any weapon and unarmed and just standing there, now they blast him with shotguns instead of saying anything at all, like, you know, get down on the ground, or what the fuck just happened? Like, five shotgun blasts each, and somehow Orville isn't fucking mincemeat. Like, he should just be red mist at this point, but he's not. And then Dude Cop walks over and goes, get an ambulance, because he's still alive. Ketchum opens his eyes again and just starts, you guessed it, breathing heavily. As we're being treated to a, the end? Question mark! And then after the credits, we see a news broadcast of Ketchum being released from the prison hospital because police couldn't find enough evidence to tie him to the crimes. He literally assaulted a cop and fired the cop's gun at another human being. So what the fuck? Why did they show scenes from a completely unrelated movie series to try to tie this into the movie from the first movie of this series? Why was there so much gratuitous nudity? Why did they fucking make it a possession murder? Why are there two Middle Eastern guys credited in the credits as Abdul and Shmabdul? Why was Candy also playing the nurse who was helping catch him out of the hospital? Why is the ending credits song about the invasion of the body snatchers? Where the fuck is Phyllis? We'll never know. Because that was it. That was Sorority House Massacre too. That was so, so bad. Like, just so incredibly bad. I don't know how many of you listened to the episode where I did Shockma. That was episode 7, by the way. But the last few minutes of that movie were so bad, I didn't even riff on them. And honestly, this movie made me long for Shockma's well-written and well-executed premise. Ugh, give me a super intelligent, murderous baboon over this bullshit any day of the week. But hey. I do it all for you. I mean, also for me, because making fun of this sort of thing is just incredibly fun for me. But I hope you enjoyed my pain and suffering. And uh, I am going to do a little bit of begging here. Not for money, though. Uh, not even for sharing my stuff, though. If you enjoy it, please do share it. No, what I'm begging for is for you to let me know that you enjoyed it. Like and follow the Facebook page. Send me a message on there saying that you liked it or, or whatever. Tweet at me to tell me you liked it. Send an email, horror4h at gmail.com, saying that you liked it. Because, honestly, that's what makes me want to do more episodes more than anything else. Knowing people honestly really got some good laughs and were glad they spent time listening to me means more than sharing the work or, or monetary donations ever could mean. And I, I genuinely just like making people laugh. So if I made you laugh, let me know. And if you want to share the work or make a monetary donation, I will not complain or turn it down. But honestly, just reaching out to me is the best thank you I can ever get from you all. So take care, everyone. I hope to hear from you all soon, and I really hope you'll all be hearing from me again in not too long.